Welcome to the Heal, Nourish, Grow podcast. I'm Cheryl McColgan, founder of Heal, Nourish, Grow. The website, this show, and our newsletter all focus on making the science of advanced nutrition and greater overall health accessible to everyone. Buckle up for our latest episode to get ideas, tools, and practical knowledge you can use to improve your health and move towards your perfect version of ultimate wellness. The Heal, Nourish, Grow podcast shares interviews with nutrition experts, health researchers, and everyday people that have changed their lifestyle and nutrition to support greater health. You'll learn how to implement lasting change and create new habits that support greater wellness and a happier, healthier life. Please visit healnourishgrowpodcast.com for full show notes and links to our guests. Dr. Meg Mill is a functional medicine health practitioner and clinical pharmacist. In her practice, she works with patients to focus on healing the root cause of their health struggles through advanced diagnostic testing and personalized support. Before practicing functional medicine, Meg spent almost two decades practicing as a clinical pharmacist. She graduated with a PharmD from Duquesne University and continued her education with a residency at the University of Maryland School of Pharmacy. Meg then practiced in various clinical settings before pursuing functional medicine certifications through the Institute for Functional Medicine and School of Applied Function Medicine. Meg has been featured in national publications such as Fox News Channel, Authority Magazine, Thrive Global, Drug Topics, and Circle Magazine, as well as several other national blogs and podcast guest appearances. With her conventional and functional medicine expertise, she can help her patients improve their health naturally while still understanding and respecting conventional practice protocols. She is particularly passionate about helping people suffering from chronic headaches or migraines find relief and increase productivity and energy to enjoy their life again with her proven EAT method. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Heal, Nourish, Grow podcast. Today, I am joined by Dr. Meg Mill, and I am really excited to share her knowledge with you because she focuses a lot on headaches, which is something I know a lot of people in this audience struggle with. So um, welcome, Dr. Mill. Can you just give us some of your background, how you, uh, before you get to how you got into this work, you were originally, I believe, a pharmacist. So maybe you could kind of tell us about your progression of moving into functional medicine. Yes, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me here. I um I um spent 20, almost 20 years actually practicing as a clinical pharmacist before I made my way into functional medicine. And I I kind of have two tracks of how I how I ended up in this space and and one was a personal journey and the other one was just from experience with patients. Um so I I just over the years of working with people was seeing we're seeing people we, I would say survive rather than thrive. I would see people coming in with more and more medications and just really still not feeling their best. And although there's a really wonderful purpose for medications, it's not the, the answer for everything. And when you're not looking into some of the root causes, people were, were getting more and more sick while kind of piling up and getting side effects and other things from medications. And in the same vein, I actually um, had spent years with IBS and had been jumping around to different gastroenterologists and, and getting told like, oh, you're fine, but you're, and I, <laughs> I did not feel fine <laughs> by any means. And so I was looking for other answers and, and just found, you know, through that journey and my own personal experience was able to find functional medicine and heal myself and then go on to, to change career paths and go back and get certifications to practice. And, and I do see it's, it's amazing the difference you can see for people when you're looking into the root cause. So many things can be fixed and healed that way. Yeah, that's, that is a real frustration in Western medicine. And it's certainly something that in the, you know, I'm very involved in the keto low carb space and biohacking stuff. And it's, it's certainly, 
a you know, conversation that we have quite often in the community about why don't we address the root cause more often. So as you moved into from away from pharmacy into functional medicine, can you describe a little bit the training there, how it differs maybe from our traditional medical um, track and how it more focuses on this root cause? What sort of things did you learn about in order to help people discover that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I'm going to, I'll use in this example headaches because we're going to kind of get into that. And I think it's a great place to use an example of this kind of difference in the way we approach. So um, when someone comes in generally in the conventional medicine space, um, and we'd say, let's use the example of headaches, and you're going to come in, and, and a headache would be a symptom. So you're getting a head. So in the conventional space, you would get medication. You know, you'd be told to take ibuprofen or Tylenol or even get a prescription to treat that symptom so you weren't experiencing the pain. And I had someone give me the analogy one time, which I like to use, of if you took your car to a mechanic and you said, my car is making a noise and the mechanic gave you a pair of earmuffs and then handed you back your keys, would you feel comfortable <laughs> driving the car? <laughs> and I liked it because I thought, oh, that's a good, you know, we can all relate to that and we wouldn't feel safe going back in our car, but we, it, we're, we're accepting of just like, oh, here, take this for the pain and, and go on your way. And we find that that's normal. So um, we're going to then say, okay, a headache is a symptom. So what imbalances in your body are causing that symptom? So we look into all of the root causes and, you know, even things like, like you know, we'll look at your, your nutrients and different food triggers. We're going to look at hormone levels. We're going to look at stress levels. We're going to look at gut imbalances. We're going to really dig into all the imbalances in the body that cause the symptom of headaches or of depression or of autoimmunity or, you know, IBS or all these different things and, and work from the imbalances going on your body so that the symptom goes away rather than putting the medication on to treat that symptom. Right. And I would say based on my previous experience with different kinds of, you know, whether it's psychology or medicine or whatever, the, the interview process in more traditional, well, psychology is different because pretty much all you do is talk about the, but in traditional medicine, uh, you know, the interview process is kind of missing because doctors typically now only have, you know, seven to 10 minutes to spend with a patient. Uh, so getting some of that history and background is quite difficult. Um, so I'm assuming, you know, in your practice, you probably have maybe a little bit more freedom to utilize that interview practice, but then are there also any types of testing that are different than traditional medicine that you utilize to sort of get to that root cause? Yeah. So we have a whole different set of tests in functional medicine. So we would look into your food sensitivities. We have gut tests that look at your whole microbiome and we can see everything that's going on. So rather we can actually treat things that you have right there. Like if you have, would have a parasite or if you have H. pylori or things that, that maybe aren't even being looked into that can be at the root cause of, of some of these problems or intestinal permeability. And, and then we have like detailed hormone tests um, that we can check your imbalances because hormones are all about balance. So we want to make sure we have like balances. We have, um, you know, cortisol stress tests, and then we can even actually get into things like mold and environmental toxins and things that people may not even realize that they're care. I just did one yesterday that showed up with all of these chemicals that this person was carrying around with them 
that they weren't even aware of. So if you're not aware of it, you can never clear it because you're not, you're not even, you don't even know you have it in there. So you're not trying. So some of those, when we dig deep and we can, and, and it's kind of like a detective, you know, where do you need to go in order the path leads you to some of the testing that you need to do too. Well, and now based on your experience of working with multiple people over time, is there any sort of pattern that you're seeing or a couple of patterns that are maybe more prevalent than others, whether it's, you know, some, like you mentioned, some environmental toxins or mold or food imbalances, or is it just kind of everything? Or, but I'm just wondering if there's one that sticks out in your mind. I would say to prioritize the gut. So in functional medicine, sometimes we say all disease begins in the gut because that is how you, um, you know, you have to absorb and digest and absorb your nutrients. Mm -hmm. So if you have a gut imbalance, then you're not actually, you could be eating the perfect diet. And if you're not absorbing those nutrients, you may not, your body may not be getting the value that you intend for it to get from all the healthy choices and lifestyle choices that you're making. If you're not absorbing those nutrients, you're not getting the full value. So that is in relation to like also gut imbalances can lead to underlying inflammation. Um, and so sometimes people are living with that chronic low grade inflammation all the time. So if you're going to start, I, that's a, a really good place to start. It's interconnected with so many other things in our body. And having said that, are there any kind of, of course, we're trying to get to the root cause. And if it's in the microbiome, eventually you're going to dig down to that. But are there certain kinds of symptoms that people might be experiencing due to these sorts of imbalances? So for example, I'm sure headaches is probably one mm -hmm. of them, but are there also other things that you're seeing as far as symptoms that people might have? And I think this is really tricky. Um, it's a good question because a lot of people are expecting to have gut symptoms. And if they don't have, you know, I do see a lot of people with bloating and, um, you know, reflux and things like that, that are constant um, GI problems. But then I think a step further is sometimes people don't associate that they could be having gut imbalances from other symptoms. For example, I just had someone who has had been itching for years and he just had this chronic itching and he had been taking all these medicines and we couldn't get, he, he had in his journey for years and years not been able to get rid of the itching. And here it was from a gut, you know, we finally figured it out and it was from a gut imbalance once he got to me and now he doesn't have to take that medication. So when you're looking at eczema, or itching or headaches, or even just chronic fatigue and things, even sometimes like depression and anxiety, because a, a good amount of our serotonin is made in the gut. All of those can actually be stemmed from gut imbalances that, that you're not necessarily directly associating with, with that problem. So um, the other thing that is tricky is sometimes when we're dealing with sensitivities versus allergies, an allergy is going to happen directly after you eat a food and you're going, you're going to have that response right away. But food sensitivities can be like four to 48 hours after you've eaten that food. So something that you ate yesterday or even possibly like the day before that could still be affecting you the few days later. So it's, it's just a little bit harder to, to pinpoint. And I think that's why people struggle from not being able to identify exactly what foods are triggering them. If you've been around my content for a while, you know that I love making and eating gourmet food and pairing it with wine. You may think you can't enjoy wine while trying to lose weight or stay in ketosis. And if you're drinking traditional wine, you're probably right. So many wines are mass produced and full of sugar and other additives that can wreak havoc on your health goals and make you feel just bad. 
Fortunately, I discovered Dry Farm Wines. I've been drinking their wine for years now, and I love this company. They individually test small batch wines produced by vintners committed to the practice of dry farm production. Some of my favorites have been the Blau Frankish variety from Austria and all of the wines from the Loire Valley in France. Dry Farm Wines are free from excess sulfites and mold that can cause adverse reactions and hangovers. With no added sugar, each wine is tested to be under one gram of sugar in the entire bottle. Yes, you heard me right. Less than one carb in the whole bottle of wine. They're also slightly lower alcohol, which means you can enjoy a delicious wine pairing at dinner any given night and not end up with a hangover. You can receive an extra bottle for just a penny with your first order by visiting dryfarmwines.com slash heal, nourish, grow. I'd love to hear what your favorite wine is after you try it. Yeah, I think that is very tricky. I, I think one thing that helps when, when I'm helping people, usually this is focused on weight loss or diet, obviously, mm-hmm. but uh, keeping just a simple food log. And over time, it might take longer than if you got some testing, but over time, you might start to identify patterns like, oh, I ate that one thing two days ago. And then I got a headache. Like I started noticing uh, several years ago when I went lower carb and then keto, I would notice that um, I finally identified that it was a certain alternative sweetener that I had been using that would give me headaches because I knock on wood, very rarely get headaches. And so when that started coming up, I was thinking, wow, what, what is, what's going on? There has to be something new here. So do you, outside of just keeping a simple food log, any other tips for people, how they can monitor things to start to, you know, outside of testing, get a little bit of better handle so that when they come to you, you know, they have a little bit more information to give. Mm-hmm. Well, I actually do what, what you're saying. I do think I tell people that if they have the, the, um, symptom, then to write down everything they ate that day and the day before and start to try to look for patterns. I mean, you can just, you know, we know that probably the biggest food sensitivities out there are, are gluten and dairy. Mm-hmm. So that you could just do a trial period of eliminating gluten and dairy, I, I think you need to give it at least four weeks though. I think that's where people will be like, well, I tried no gluten and it didn't make a difference. And sometimes they didn't try it long enough mm-hmm. to actually get the, the body to calm down. So the, the half-life of a IgG antibody, and that would be the antibody we're getting from that food sensitivity is 23 days. So you need to give it up at least 23 days in order to get half of those antibodies down. And then every 23 days, another half goes down and down. So really, I generally recommend trying 90 days to really see, to get the antibodies cleared out and see if you notice a difference. So you know, if there's a food that you feel like, could this be something, or I just want to start trying some things on my own, um, that's a way to go to try to just avoid some of those foods and cut them out of your diet for 90 days and then add them back in and see if you can tell a difference. Once your body calms down, you'll often then be able to identify that difference. And I just want to thank you for that comment and highlight it because I've listened to many interviews like this in the past, and I've never heard someone explain, I mean, it's kind of common sense that you need to cut it out for a period of time, but I've never heard someone uh, explain the half-life from the antibodies thing. So that's pretty amazing. And I think it, you know, when people more understand why they really need to do this for a longer time, I think it makes it a little easier because otherwise, 
you know, giving up dairy for 90 days would definitely not be my uh, favorite thing. Uh, but if I had a good reason why, and I had some symptoms that were related, then I would, I would definitely try it. So um, now that we've kind of gone into some more of your background and, and how you've been uh, working with people and practicing with people lately, how did you come to sort of settle on headaches as being one of the things that you really specialize in and that you're really focused on? Yeah. So actually it, it, started that every, everybody, not exactly everyone, but a lot, like so many women that were coming to me particularly um, would, no matter what they were coming for me, were actually also when I do, as you said, we do a very detailed intake form and we go through all their health history. And when we were doing that, I started noticing that they were, many people were having chronic headaches and whether or not, as I said, that was the main, their main chief complaint or whether that was just something that came up. Um, so many of these people just had been, you know, having these chronic headaches, living with them. And I started to realize that this is something that's really not being discussed a lot. People are just ex accept the fact that they're having this chronic pain and they're taking Advil or Tylenol or sometimes even prescription medications just to cover up the pain. But they they just feel like this is a part of who they are and they're being told that it, they just, it's something that they have to just kind of cover up or suffer with, suffer through. And so um, then once I was working with them, they would say, oh my gosh, I've had headaches my whole life and or since I was a teen and, and I don't have headaches anymore. So it, it started to be the shift of, I just kept seeing the same pattern over and over again with you know, with men too, but particularly women um, that we would see these dramatic changes in their, their suffering. So um, I just thought I'd like to bring more awareness to this because I think it is something that isn't really discussed that people don't have to take those medications and that in fact, those medications are contributing to, to other things. Like if you're taking Advil or, or ibuprofen on a regular basis, then you are, we were talking about the importance of the microbiome, you know, that you're actually setting yourself up for a problem with your gut and, or, you know, if you're taking Tylenol all the time, you know, you have to be careful of your liver. And so you're actually causing some other health issues by taking these medications when it's, when you don't necessarily have to, and can be pain-free without it. And before, before we move on to the headache stuff, there's one point I wanted to clarify, because maybe not everybody is familiar with this. So when you mentioned about you know, long-term ibuprofen or Advil use and the microbiome. So I think what I've read about it, and I've, I've never done a deep dive into this, but, but basically it can possibly damage your stomach lining, which over time could contribute to gut permeability, which all the lets things leak out in your bloodstream and causes any number of problems. So you, can you maybe give a more detailed explanation sure, of yes. how that affects your gut? <laughs> yes, absolutely. So we get that. And the, the term that people are hearing a lot is leaky gut. So once you're taking that, um, that medication for a long time, you can get this, this leaky gut syndrome. And then that actually can lead to further health problems, which include autoimmunity. So people that are, you know, getting into that Hashimoto's or rheumatoid arthritis or other auto autoimmune dynamics, um, you know, just, and, and once we said that the gut health is affects so many other aspects of your general health. So you're just getting that disruption 
in your gut. And, and then that can, it's a revolving door because that can actually then create more food sensitivities because once you get those little tears in the gut lining, that's when those, the IgG antibodies that I was talking about earlier start um, coming. They, they're able to permeate through the food. Your food is able to permeate through that gut lining because of the tiny tears. And then those IgG antibodies are creating an immune response to foods that you eat very often. So sometimes you get in this cycle where the food that you eat regularly is the food that you're creating this immune response to. So that's why we take it out of your diet to get those antibodies down in order to calm that immune response. And then, and then usually, and then we need to also heal that lining so you can get out of that cycle and tolerate things better. Yeah, that makes sense. And thanks for that, for their explanation. Cause I, I know sometimes people that are in this space, we just are like, oh yeah, you'll eat gut. I know about that. <laughs> but yes. if somebody's hearing it for the first time, they might be thinking, and I remember years ago thinking uh, when I first would hear that term, I thought that that's not even a thing. I mean, you know, cause regular doctors would say, oh, but now they're starting to, now that we're learning more about the microbiome, most of this stuff is really proven out. And I think even now, more traditional doctors really accept that this sort of um, disease process that's harming the gut lining is actually happening and causing a lot of these kinds of issues. So glad you got to that point. Um, so for the headache stuff, I guess, so you mentioned that you were seeing a pattern in the people that you were working with. You weren't specifically working on headaches at that point yet, but that they were having relief from symptoms from what you guys were working on. So can you talk a little bit more about sort of the protocols that you are using with your patients um, before we get to the more specifics of the headache, just protocols that you were using with your patients, whether it's dietary changes or lifestyle or whatever it is, um, that where you started to see those positive changes in sort of a, a more broader spectrum of their health. Like what you hear so far? Make sure you never miss a show by clicking the subscribe button now. We'd also love it if you could post a review on iTunes. It helps us so much by allowing others to more easily find us. The Heal, Nourish, Grow podcast wouldn't be possible without listeners like you. Thank you so much for your support. Now back to the show. Sure, yes. So two things I think that people can start to do right away um, that are just simple, easy, and free are um, to drink more water, to stay hydrated. Um, we do want to drink half of our body weight in water a day. And it's really important for headaches and in just general hydration that you actually sip your water throughout the day rather than chugging it at your at meals. Because when you drink, if you know, sometimes we're like, oh, we drink our water, we grab that bottle because we're thirsty, we chug it down and then we move on. But then you're actually passing, can pass some of that water right through you, where when you drink it slowly throughout the day and have sort of a glass that maybe by your desk that you can sip on, you're actually getting more cellular hydration. Um, and then in addition to that, when we drink have a large amount of water at mealtime, then we also can change the consistency of the food and that actually can affect the absorption of our food and, and the breakdown. So it's just important to kind of, to make sure you're, you're really drinking water um, try to actually track it if you can to make, cause sometimes I think we think we're drinking more than we are. Yeah. And so we have that and, and just drink that slowly throughout the day. So that's kind of just an easy place um, to start. And then that the next thing I think that you can do that's, that's really fairly simple is just really prioritizing sleep. We do know that migraines particularly are, um, there are studies showing that 
that a lower REM sleep is a direct correlation um, to migraines. So, you know, sometimes I know, I think people don't even realize maybe how much they're sleeping. I had someone come in, she's like, I'm getting good sleep. And then when we go into her sleep cycle, she thought she was sleeping, but about once a week, she was almost staying up all night to like catch up on everything. And, you know, when you're doing that once a week, even if you're sleeping, the other nights, it, it's just getting your circadian rhythm off. It can get, you know, the, our melatonin needs to go up at night. So there's per, you know, there's, there's physiological purpose to sleep that we need for healing. And so, you know, just doing those things like keeping your room cool, dark, and quiet so that you have a comfortable space to sleep, turning off, um, all electronics, you know, even thinking about keeping your phone outside your room. <laughs> I know that's a hard thing, but you know, we always are, we are attached to those devices so that you're not seeing the blue, the blue light overnight, you know, just having that maybe a, a quieting ritual at night. Um, and then the other thing would be to avoid caffeine after 2 PM. We all metabolize caffeine differently. So sometimes even if, if you're even, you know, people are thinking about coffee, but even eating a piece of chocolate after dinner can actually, you know, the foods have caffeine too. So you can stimulate your body in those ways that may disrupt that, that good sleep. So really just trying to focus on getting a good night's sleep and prioritizing that's another thing you can do lifestyle wise right away. Yeah. And that's, I mean, it's so good for many things because also with, uh, you know, weight losses, again, it just happens to be a big part of my focus, but it's, um, sleep is so underrated for so many things and so much so that I'll make sure that I put this in the show notes um, for people that are listening to this right now is that I have a whole big article about sleep and it mentions all of those things that you said, plus a few more. <laughs> and there's a couple tools and that I found really to be helpful. And you might, you know, share this with your patients, but one of them being a, you know, almost 50 year old woman myself, this, you know, hot flashes, perimenopausal stuff is that um, a cooling pad that you actually put on the bed. So it, it maintains that cool temperature in the room, no matter what your external environment happens to be. And then a really good eye mask that really blocks out all those, um, in addition to like blue blocking glasses, but even just in our room, for example, we have an air filter that's got some weird little light on it. And then we've got the, you know, the house alarm that's got a light on and all those things kind of add up to sort of disrupt sleep over time. And so it's like every little thing that you do, I think contributes <laughs> to, to a better night's sleep. So yes. I love that tip. Um, there is one thing that you mentioned, I just want to not to totally belabor, but just quickly ask a question sure. is that you mentioned hydration on the cellular level. So from a physiological level, besides just getting enough water, is there anything else that affects the hydration at the cellular level? Well, know? we just want to make sure that we're getting the right electrolytes. So that to make sure because that the um, your electrolytes will affect how the, the cells, the how water is absorbed into the cells. So just make, you know, that just making sure and there are actually even some people, especially if you're not a big water drinker that, you know, some people struggle just with the, even the taste. And so there are some electrolyte, even packets that you can put in your water to enhance that too. Yeah. And all of us in a low carb space are very focused on that. Yes. Okay. That is more of a problem. The lower carb that you go is, is the electrolyte um, balance. So thanks for that too. Um, so let's finally get into the headache stuff. So this is pretty exciting because not only is it the focus of your work, but you're also in January going to be offering a special group thing, I think where you're doing maybe some education and some edu education, I guess. So if you can 
maybe talk a little bit more first about your work with people in headaches and how you really, um, after you noticed that this was happening, you started to focus on that and then about your program that you're offering in January. Sure. Yes. So I think that one of the things that the, uh, another aspect that we don't realize when with headaches is that food can cause, cause your headaches. So there's, there is that component of, you know, we're talking about the triggers that are going on in your body and what's happening. And there are certain foods we know for sure that can trigger headaches. Um, and then sometimes people with food sensitivities can also have that immune response that's triggering their headaches from them. So we work through a lot of different foods. Some things that you can look at are um, tyramine, sulfates, um, you can, we let some MSG, aspartame are other triggers that we work in um, histamine related foods. So we look at foods, we know that from the data that are foods that likely trigger headaches and we work on, um, you know, eliminating those from our diets, increasing the foods that have the nutrients that we want to be getting from the headache that to support people that are commonly low when they have headaches um, and build up those nutrient levels and then clear out the food sensitivities. So we're, we're getting a more balanced nutrition and not getting any um, aggravation or um, from of headaches from food. So that's one focus that we look at. We also know that, you know, stress can be a component of the headaches. And some people get in that chain of pain because whenever people have headaches, that actually is a stress on your body. So it's, you know, so you're getting the, the headache and the pain from the headache causes the stress, which increases the cortisol, which can make, you know, you more likely once your cortisol is elevated, you can have more stress, you know, that's your stress hormone. So it makes it more likely to get a headache. So we work on how to break that chain of pain um, with, with a stress response. And then we also will look at uh, often um, hormone imbalances are another thing. Many people, you know, you might, you hear women saying, okay, I get, you know, two days before my period every month, I get that headache. And so that's often at that time of the month, because um, it, right, the week before we get our period, our um, progesterone drops rapidly and our estrogen does too, but our, our progesterone often, often drops more rapidly than the estrogen. So you can um, end up with somewhat of an estrogen dominance, at, particularly right in that PMS window. So um, just really looking into hormones and people's hormone balance and helping that. We also look at in your environment and if you have any environmental triggers, like we know certain um, toxins such as um, lead and cadmium can be things that trigger headaches, but also environmental, you know, things in your house that can be causing that and, you know, triggering. So like cleaning up your environment, then even possibly looking into things like mold and, and different things that you could be experiencing. So we, we just take it, we look at them instead of, you know, of all the things that you have going on in your life and balance each area and to, to help you support you and, and get rid of the triggers for the headaches. I'm finally able to share some really exciting news with the Heal, Nourish, Grow family. After years of people telling me I should write a cookbook, I finally did. 
It's of course focused on keto recipes that are low carb and delicious, but however you choose to eat, you'll wanna have these weeknight recipes that are finished in under 30 minutes at your disposal to feed your hungry crew. The cookbook is available mid-November, so if you're listening to this, it's likely already out. Please visit cookbook.healnourishgrow.com for all the details. Um, and so that's what I, um, in January 24th, I'm starting a group program called Headstrong Happiness Beyond Headaches and taking um, people in that group to, to be able to reach more people through the same process that I use. I, it's, I call it my EAT method. It's, um, it's enlighten and line thrive. So we, we enlighten about all the things that can be you know, triggering your headaches, then we align your body in the way we need to, and then set you up to thrive so that you don't have the headache. So that will be a nine week program that people will get a food sensitivity test actually as part of that. So they can identify what foods are unique to them that are, could be triggers. And then we, we go through that process and do education and group sessions on each one of of those modules. There's nine modules that we go through. So um, yes, and that you can get information about that at it's happinessbeyondheadaches.com. Okay, great. And I'll definitely have that in the show notes, but I'm also interested because it's such good timing because quite often at the beginning of the year, people start to focus on creating new healthy habits, as you know. And uh, I think that obviously um, getting a life that's more pain-free should be at the top of everyone's list. So I'm really happy that you're offering that. Um, to go back to, I think a lot of the things that you mentioned as far as triggers for headaches were pretty obvious. Um, but since a lot of people that are listening to this show in particular are pretty focused on how they eat, can you maybe, uh, you mentioned, I think, did you say tyrosine or something with a T? And yeah, you named a few um, things that I'm not as familiar with. So maybe um, examples of what kind of foods might contain those might be useful for people or just foods that really commonly trigger headaches. Yes. So we, um, so one of the things that people um, should look at are histamine foods. So that would be things like aged cheese, fermented food, shellfish. Um, and often sometimes you, if you're someone particularly that has regular congestion and headaches, you may be getting triggered from histamine. So you want to, um, you want to actually, you can even Google, you know, foods that are hot, foods that are high in histamine. Cause it's a, it's a pretty long list to, to read through, but, um, the, you know, some of those, like I said, the aged cheese, the fermented foods, the shellfish, um, look through those foods and just try to cut back on, um, on histamine. It's kind of can be like filling a bucket where you were getting his. So you want to look at foods that have have histamine in them and then there are certain foods that actually release your body's trigger of of histamine um because if you're also someone who has allergies you could be getting histamine reactions from your environment and so once you get this level of histamine that that builds up that can actually be one of the triggers for headaches um and a, a little tip there is it that's a, that's tricky with that food in particular is that you can get a buildup in histamine foods from leftovers too. So you actually, if you're someone who has a histamine sensitivity, you don't want to eat like leftovers after 24 hours. You're not, you don't want to, you know, be someone that like, oh, brings your food home and it sits there for a few days and then you pull it back out because histamines can actually grow in leftovers. 
So I had heard that one before. That's very interesting. And mm-hmm. I sometimes wonder, you mentioned the congestion congestion factor, which I, like I mentioned, I don't have headaches very often, but I do quite often have congestion and seasonal allergies. So I'm wondering if I should maybe start looking at histamines a little bit more myself. <laughs> yes. I think it's something that, that is affecting a lot of people that you might not even be, re- be realizing. And there is a genetic variant. If you're someone who, have, you know, we, the, another test we do actually is um, we check tests for genetic SNPs because everyone has different SNPs that to their genes that help them to process things differently. Um, and if you have, if you're someone who has a genetic SNP for the, um, the DAO enzyme, it's an enzyme where you may not be breaking down histamine as well as other people. So that's another piece of an investigation in the testing is we can see like if you're someone who doesn't have that, it has a SNP that doesn't, DAO is is an enzyme that helps break down that histamine. So you could be someone who just genetically has a higher level. Um, And there's a supplement you can take actually to block that. So if you do eat something with histamine and you don't break it down well, you can take a supplement with your meal to kind of help you through that. Oh, interesting. Um, and I actually yeah. have one of those SNP tests. So I'll have to look at my oh, DAO yeah, look at status. It. Yeah, look at your DAO. Yes. Yep, yeah, that's that something you should look at. Yeah, because if, especially if you have that congestion, those allergies, um, and see if you do, you know, if there's any SNP there that is inhibiting you from breaking down the histamine as well as you could be. Um, and then the other thing I mentioned was tyramine containing foods. So those would be like a aged or cured foods um, often. And we know that um, tyramine is produced in in foods um, from the breakdown of the amino acid tyrosine. So certain amines, particularly tyramine, are known to trigger migraines by triggering the release of hormones that constrict the blood vessels. So we want to be careful, particularly in people with migraines, because those can be, um, those can also be a trigger. And then um, salicylates can be found in citrus foods. We also have nitrates, which are found in like hot dogs, bacon. Some people have um, sensitivity to sulfites, which are generally found in wines and dried fruits. Um, And then MSG usually is found in, is processed foods, boxed foods, canned soups. Um, So you want to read that from from the labels on your foods, often foods that ha- are processed have that MSG in there. And then aspartame is from, from diet sodas. And then you also want to be um, careful of any artificial coloring or dye you see in your food um, on the labels, because that can trigger headaches for some. And then actually the last one is kind of controversial because it's actually used to treat headaches, but caffeine. So um caffeine can cause rebound headaches. So if you look at some of the medication that treat headaches, there is caffeine in there because it can actually help with, with the pain of a headache. But if you're, if you're a heavy caffeine consumer, then you actually can then start to get headaches from the rebound headaches from caffeine withdrawal. So that can actually be a cycle that some people can get into that can be fairly common, unfortunately. Yeah, that's interesting. I never thought about, I mean, obviously caffeine is pretty dose dependent and, you know, there's been a lot of over the years, like caffeine's good for you. Caffeine's bad for you, much like eggs, much like the things, but one of the most recent ones I saw was within the last month. And it was, I think a New York times headline, something about, finally, we know that caffeine is definitely good for you. And I'm like, but it's still <laughs> dose dependent, you know, yes. I mean, you can really think of it as a cognitive aid, like ergogenic kind of thing. Like it's pretty 
you know, uh, well known in the biohacking community, the enhancements it offers. But I think mm -hmm. again, you don't. That doesn't mean it's like many things. Like what's good doesn't mean go more, more, more. You know. Yeah. Exactly. So, so I'm I'm not saying that. I totally agree with you. So I'm not saying that that morning cup of co you know coffee has to go. It's it's more of that that person who has that regular caffeine intake that. Um, that is then going through withdrawal. The uh, and the other aspect, again, going back to genetics, is everybody metabolizes caffeine different. So we can genetically, and that's why you could have a cup of coffee potentially at eight p.m. and be fine, and maybe I can't have a cup of coffee after ten a.m. or I'm, you know, not able to fall asleep because we all have our own unique ability to um, process it. And so the, it, there's also that variability within each person. Yeah, it's funny. I actually looked that up one time because somebody didn't believe me when I told them that I go cold turkey. First of all, I only for most for most of my adult years, I've only had one or two cups a day. But somebody didn't believe me when I said if I go off caffeine, I never get headaches. I don't. I don't. Um, but I looked it up, and there actually is it's something with the genetic process, something in the way that your body processes it that some people they're highly sensitive to it if it's like a, a true withdrawal symptom, and then some people it's kind of like nothing, which is also I think the same reason why it doesn't make me feel any kind of certain way really <laughs> so <laughs> yes. that's probably why I can only why I can yeah. easily have one cup a day and not worry about it. so like I have it I like the taste or whatever but it, I don't feel like it um, amps me up a whole lot or anything mm -hmm. like that yes <laughs> so all very interesting so if people want to uh first of all you gave the website for your program but if people want to stay in touch with you look at your work find you online what are the best places they can do that whether it's social or your websites or LinkedIn what what are your favorite channels for all that. Yeah, sure. So I have um I, my website's just www.megmill.com and if you if you I actually have a eight step guide to get started eliminating your headache. So if you go to megmill.com forward slash headache you can um, download that guide. So that's a place if you're interested in getting started, that is a free, a free guide. And then um, I'm also on in, um, Instagram at Dr. Meg Mill and on LinkedIn at Dr. Meg Mill. And I actually had started a Facebook group, um, a Facebook group called the Headache Healing Club. And that, so if that's something where your the information I share on Instagram is, is general more general overall functional medicine. But if you are interested, like I said, in headaches specifically, you could join that um, headache healing club over on Facebook or look into the, the program at happinessbeyondheadaches.com. Okay, awesome. And one final question for you before I let you go. After having uh, switched the functional merit, uh, functional medicine paradigm, that's easy to say, right? Uh, was there anything that you learned or in working with patients that you've observed that has made you personally change either the way that you eat or certain things that you do in your life? Like what's big, been the biggest influence out of all this new learning and, and working with people in this way? Well, I think some, I think once you work with people and, and are looking at lifestyle and food, you really look at your relationship with food. Um, I think every, I've learned that everyone has a different relationship with food and, and it's very interesting because it's so unique. And some people use, you know, use food for comfort and use food as their friend and, and you, you know, use food to fill a void or, and so, you know, I've been in learning that and working with each individual, it's made me more aware of how my relationship with food. There was one day I was so stressed and I grabbed 
a bag of like, I had like organic caramel popcorn or whatever that my kids had had. And, you know, it wasn't necessarily a bad food, but it wasn't something I should be eating. And I was just eating it like quickly. And, and, um, just, and I had, was upset and I'm, I had to like step back and be like, Whoa, you're upset about something like you're using food, you know? So I think it's able, you're talking about it all the time and working with people to use it in their life. And so it may, you know, usually I try to use food for nutrients. I like try to think of food as information, um, and, and choose my, what I eat based on that, but we're, we're all human and we all, <laughs> um, you know, but I think that has been interesting for me to really see that it's, it's very different for each person and, and it needs to be incorporated in their lives in a way that, that works for them. But then also bringing that back, like, you know, how am I using it in my life too? <laughs> Yeah, no, it does. It, I mean, when you think about this stuff all the time, it definitely does bring a whole different way of, of uh, not only a different way of eating, but a way of thinking about how you eat as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for your time today and for sharing all your wonderful knowledge. Again, Dr. Meg Mill, be sure to look for all her links in the show notes and that headache program. If you're struggling with this and you want to get in on it, contact her as soon as you hear this <laughs> and uh, hopefully it'll still be open. If not, it sounds like it's what your focus is now. So you might run it again in the future, but again, yes, we'll just you. run it. I'm sorry. We'll run it again in the spring. So oh, yeah, that's, we'll that's even going. better. Yeah, so if people yeah. miss it. You can still yeah. jump on board, get the free guide and check out our website. So thank you so much, uh, Dr. Mill. It's great to meet you. You too. Thank you so much. <laughs> this has been the Heal, Nourish, Grow podcast. Again, I'm Cheryl McColgan, founder of Heal, Nourish, Grow. You can find show notes for this episode at healnourishgrowpodcast.com. If you have feedback on today's episode or questions about the content, please email us at podcast at healnourishgrow.com. We'd love to hear from you. Be sure to sign up for our email list at healnourishgrow.com and subscribe to the show with your favorite podcast player so you never miss an episode. Join us next time for more information that helps you live your best and healthiest life. Thanks for listening. Content on the Heal, Nourish, Grow podcast does not constitute medical advice. Content contained in the Heal, Nourish, Grow podcast is not intended as medical diagnosis or treatment. Neither the company nor its owner, Heal, Nourish, Grow, LLC, nor any of the company's employees, agents, or guest speakers provide medical advice. The content provided on Heal, Nourish, Grow podcast is for educational and entertainment purposes only. Please consult your medical provider with any questions about what health practices are right for you.